Hello and welcome to It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast, where we talk about how to make money work for you instead of you working for money. My name's Andrew Harrison. I'm a journalist. I'm not a financial journalist, but that's okay because Andy Mayer is here to calm my nerves and explain the world of money to me. Hello, Andy. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. You're doing well? <laughs> not bad. Have you got your shorts on now the weather's finally turned? <laughs> I wouldn't inflict that on anybody, <laughs> even my worst enemy. Well, the, the world is unlocking bit by bit. And it's kind of carrying on, although there is a question mark of the June 21st big date, isn't there? Looking at the kind of financial side of things, Michael Gove told a meeting with the Scottish government this week that the UK government is open-minded on extending furlough, the one that's supposed to expire in September. Firstly, do you think that's likely because furlough has been such a huge part of giving people security during the whole pandemic? I think there's a problem that somewhere it has to end. Mm. But it's when, and I think if the government looks at it and doesn't feel the economy is ready, what they don't want is mass unemployment. Mm. It it doesn't look good for any government, so it could get kicked down the road. But somewhere down the road, we have to try and find a new way of working. And I think certain industries will have suffered badly. If you look at the hospitality industry, especially travel, and other industries are, are booming. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been very strange that a Conservative government has done the most interventionist thing you can possibly imagine in the economy. Do you think we're at a point where certain industries have now almost become dependent on this? I know it's only been a year. If you go back in history, there's certain industries that eventually have done their time because the world moves on. And unfortunately, I think there'll be certain industries that will be left behind here, but there's how long can a government support it? Yeah. It was like I think the guy from Weatherspoons this week was saying they have, in certain areas got staff shortages, but it's whether people who have been furloughed or have a skill sector for something totally different are happy to go and work in a new job or a new sector. Yeah, and that was very ironic, wasn't it? Because obviously he was, he was a big part of Brexit and now he's talking about bringing in a more open migration environment for, for EU citizens. We have just seen that the fastest monthly growth since 1997 in the service sector, obviously because it's coming back from complete paralysis. So pubs and hotels and banking, but also things like IT. And there is talk of that skills shortage that you talked about just then. Is this likely to bring inflation back, do you think? I think we'll have some inflationary issues. When you look at the Americans, they've just had quite a big inflationary rise, but it's based on two factors in America. People are traveling more, and bizarrely, the second-hand car market had an absolute great first quarter. So when you get underneath the bonnet, literally, of the inflationary figures, the the markets tend to overestimate where it will end up. And I think we are going to see some short-term inflation with people maybe spending money in the the summer holidays, maybe certain industries going back full-time, people going out for dinner and drinks. But I think it will calm down September time. And if it doesn't, then the Bank of England will be forced to act. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about insurance. Specifically, is it less expensive than most of us think? And should we think about it more? Andy, why did you want to talk about insurance this time around? Why should people be focusing on it? I think the honest answer is that I spoke to one of my dearest, well, my best mate in uh, Tulsa, and he was visiting his really good mate in Las Vegas, who was suffering from long COVID. Mm. Five months of no money coming in, and you start thinking... We haven't, I don't think this is the end of the pandemics, but it also makes you focus on the amount of people who've died and the amount of people who've been left behind with inadequate finances or protection. But then you start thinking, 
There was an article in BBC News which also focused my mind that people spend more money on pet insurance than they do protecting themselves. So Terry's friend in Vegas, who is now five months into long COVID, Mm. has going to have, well, he has got financial issues. And do you think this is something that uh, is going to come more into focus for people? Because obviously, you know, we've all been through this really weird experience. I, I heard a really disturbing statistic the other day that by Christmas, there'll be more people suffering from long COVID in the UK than are suffering from dementia, which is really quite takes you back, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I think that's my worry because everyone insures their pet. People insure if they're going by themselves a 500, 2000 pound bike. We all have depend on the value of a car, most people cover them comprehensively. Yet the one cash cow in everybody's house mm. is the put the earner, the wage earner, whether it's one or two salaries coming into a house, or if you live on your own, your salary. But if that suddenly stops, how do you survive? And that's my worry. Because you've got to think about yourself as an asset. You are. What a weird if thought. If you think about someone on £20,000 mm. a year with a 20-year shelf life, they're going to bring in an awful lot of money. It's £400,000 worth of income. If you get long COVID and you're off for six to nine months, an awful lot of people don't have the savings put away. And those people who do got the money in their ISAs or their bonds or don't actually want to touch it because when eventually they finish work, that's what they want to enjoy. And it is a real worry that unless you're sort of a teacher or a civil servant where you've got excellent long-term health benefits, most companies very soon you go to statutory sick pay at £95 a week. What is it that puts people off thinking about this? Is it fear of the complexity of the system, fear of, you know, you pay in your premiums over the years and they don't pay out? The fact that it's kind of almost hard to visualise a situation where you, yeah. you yourself are incapacitated. I think it's a bit like when you write a will, you don't want to think about yourself not being here. And I think when you're writing an income protection policy, you're thinking about yourself being a long-term ill. Or if you're writing a life cover, you're thinking about yourself not being... Mm here and i think an awful lot of people play russian roulette on the basis well it won't happen to me mm. but if you look at i mean the football manager steve cottrell darren moore fit healthy gentlemen yes who both suffered from long COVID. now they're working for football clubs on six-figure salaries but there's going to be an awful lot of people in industries where if long COVID happens they're not going to get paid out you're talking about me literally here because we've got cat insurance but not insurance for the humans in the house. Uh, cats are expensive enough. And you know, I'm, I'm looking at the cat insurance expenses going out and going, this is a fortune, this is more being spent on their health than being spent on me. That's the funny bit. People will insure their dog. I think our dog's £60 a month. What would £60 a month get a human? Gold-plated version? Well, £60 a month will get somebody who's probably, say, 30, a couple of thousand pounds a month income protection, £1,000 a month if they die a life cover, 60, 70 grand's worth of critical illness. So if something happens to them, they're not destitute. I think we have this misapprehension that in the States, if you're poor, you're, you're on the street. But over here, we believe that the state will just look after you. But £95 a week if you're long-term sick doesn't go that far for a lot of people. Sounds to me like the dog's getting quite a bad deal, actually. For £60 a month, all it's getting is a hip operation when it could be getting £1,000 in income and uh, long-term care and an opportunity to go on a cruise to recuperate. It's, I think you should be doing a podcast for dogs on the bad deal. But isn't it funny? Everybody gets a pet. We'll mm. worry in case it runs out in front of a car. 
We're worried if it needs a hip operation for a couple of thousand pound. But we look at the pet, we'll insure it. You get a valuable piece of jewellery, you'll insure it extra. But the people in the house who produce the income to pay for the mortgage, to save for the pensions, we never assume it will happen to us in terms of a heart attack or depression or long COVID. You mentioned before we started recording that you specifically wanted to talk about age when you're buying insurance. The difference between somebody who's 30 kind of near the start of their working life, somebody who's 45 in the middle of their working life. Yeah. How, t- firstly, tell me, how much difference does this make in terms of what you pay in and what you get out? Does the kind of old adage about time doing the work for you still hold? Yeah. I think when you're 30, you can basically, if, if you buy insurance at 30 as opposed to 45, it's going to double at 45. Right. My daughter's just started her first year at Bath University, and so far she's fit and healthy and when I applied for the policy, her alcohol consumption was an awful lot less than what it is now. <laughs> That's students. <laughs> but I got her £250,000 worth of critical illness cover for about £28 till she's 67. Mm. Now, in 10 years' time, that policy will be increased. And when she's 35, that would be 60 to £70. But it also depends on if Molly has any issues. If she has medical issues, she might get declined. Mm. And when you're 18, you're fit and healthy. When you're in your 20s, your height, weight are probably generally a lot of people in good parameters. As we get older, things stop not work as well. Yeah. And so the cost of insurance, which all insurance is really, is risk management. What is the risk of someone getting that critical illness, the likelihood of dying, and insuring it? And if someone's got, say a Rolls-Royce worth a quarter of a million, the insurance costs more than if you've got a Ford Fiesta at £10,000. And I think sometimes we forget that the more we earn, the more we would lose if we were ill. And your kind of maths on the 30-year-old person, you kind of said critical illness cover for £30,000 at £12 a month, £500,000 of life cover at £6 a month, and a, a, a grand a month long-term sick for £10, it adds up to 28 quid month yeah. which i hate to confess this to you andy that's actually a lot lower than my comics bill for the month are you talking your liverpool vans fan zone magazine so you're embarrassed about mentioning or no I, it's, it's worse than that it's it's fantastic for an incredible hulk you know like this is <laughs> I, I should to think how much i spent on this but 28 quid a month that's a medium-sized bar bill isn't it yes yeah, pound a day mm. and literally when you look at it when you go out now with the pricing that's increased in every pub i've been to mm. you're looking at five pound a pint of guinness in most places. So mm. you're looking literally a round of drinks if you're out with five mates to cover yourself and your family for a month. And you did the maths on a for a 45-year-old, which was you know, similar coverage, £30,000 of critical yeah. illness cover, half a million life insurance, £1,000 a month ill health for two years. And the total of that was £43 a month, or if it was unlimited on the ill health, £59 a month, which yeah, again, it's just a bar bill. But again, you don't look at it and think it's that expensive because I think people need to sort of look at life protection. What is it they would miss or their families would miss if they were long-term ill or if they died or if they had a heart attack? And everyone has different priorities. But I do think the income protection element of people being able to protect themselves if one of them is long-term ill, who are massively exposed as a society in terms of what's happened with the pandemic, and it's your example, there's going to be more people suffering from long COVID 
Now, who's going to pay them? Are their employers going to just say, I'm sorry, you're on statutory sick? Is it going to be a special government dispensation? Yeah. Or will they end up as a figure where they're having to either get evicted from their rental homes, sell their assets or sell a home? Long COVID itself is a very strange syndrome because it's actually not an, an individual condition. It's multiple things. It's everything from skin mm. problems to lung problems to just ne- neurobiological problems, brain fog, all kinds of different things. So, you know, in a sense, it's hard to pin it down and say this is what this is one condition. Are you aware that the insurance industries are are kind of looking at it? Because one of the fears that people have with insurance is that um, the condition won't be recognised in it, but there won't be a payout. Yeah. What's interesting is that when you apply for a, a policy, it's at the time of application. So if you've not got any symptoms and you apply, and this long COVID means you're off work for six months and you've got an income protection policy that pays in after three months, they have to pay you. Mm. But what we're now finding and with all the application forms since March last year, there is now a section on COVID. They're asking right. if you've suffered so part of the sort of reason for this podcast, and it's one of the reasons I got my daughter to take while well, I took the critical illness out for her until she starts working, is because she's fit and healthy. And often we wait too late till we have something, and then the insurers walk away. They're not going to insure you. Is there such thing as too late? If, for instance, you're a 54-year-old married former music journalist with two cats and no kids, for instance. No, it's not too late. It's, it's all about what people's needs are. So if someone has, says... I earn £2,000 a month net, but I have a nest egg in the bank of, say, 300000 There's an argument they don't need anything, potentially, because they've got savings. Yeah. But if you're on £2,000 a month and you're out going to £2,000 a month and you could not survive, it doesn't matter what age you are, you're leaving yourself very vulnerable. Hmm. But in terms of your situation, Andrew, you just need to cancel the pet insurance. Right. Well, uh, you can have that conversation with my missus because she'd rather yeah. the ha- she'd rather the house burnt down. She'd rather the house burnt down and the cat got sick. She'd rather I went up in the house than the cat got sick. <laughs> I want to ask you a little bit more about some details on on you know the broad picture of, of life insurance. I mean, we've talked about how people who don't have dependents often sort of think they don't need it. They've, they've, they've got a nest egg, things like that. But if you're looking to kind of use life insurance as a as a sort of family wealth protector, you can put it in an ISA, right? It is kind of it does work as a savings product. You can't put life insurance in an ISA, but what people do do is sometimes they'll say, look, I'm saving £300 a month into my ISA. But the reality is if you've got, say, 10000 in your ISA and you're off work for a year, mm. that money's all gone. It's a bit like when you, you could take the risk of having a brand new car and going third party fire and theft on your car insurance, but then you go, God, if that goes wrong, mm. I've just spent forty grand on a car and it's not insured. Is the market changing in other ways? If people are living longer, uh, they're retiring later, you know, they're often having longer periods of incapacity at the end of their, of their lives. How is the market changing for, the, for this stuff? I think there's a misconception that you always need insurance. You need insurance to cover a loss. So mm. if you lose your income, if you lose a partner, if you've got people who rely on you. But if you hit the age of, say, 70, and you've got no debt, you've got a state pension, savings there's a potential there that you don't and your income outstrips your expenditure that i my argument would be what do you need it for but it's when you've got young children when you're a sole earner when you live on your own 
you've got debts of mortgages, credit card, rental payments. That's a different issue. Is it cheaper to get life insurance through a broker or direct from providers? Because it is generally cheaper to go through brokers because you get we get volume discounts. And also a lot of these compare the markets and all that. They leave soft credit searches on you when you start putting your names and addresses in. Oh, right. And also there is a lot of the times you, you, it doesn't matter whether you use me, somebody else, but you need someone to make sure that the length of the policy is what you need. Mm -hmm. And there's different types of policy. If we just look at life insurance, there's family income benefit, there's decreasing term insurance, there's renewable term, there's reviewable, there's level term. And sometimes people can go and buy something that in five years' time goes up dramatically and they weren't aware of it and they might not have the disposable income to pay for it. Just going back to income protection for a minute. We talked about how the pandemic has thrown everything up in the air. Has it made income protection harder to take out, more expensive, particularly when the state has almost, in a sense, been providing it with, with the furlough scheme? I think what insurance companies look at, they're there to make a profit, and they do. They look at the risk what is your industry? And we're finding that applications that we would have called clean that would have gone through in 24 hours mm. are now taking a couple of weeks because they are writing to the doctors. They are checking people's height and weight. They are looking at what illnesses they've had. And this is why I'm saying in some ways when you're fit and healthy and you don't think you're ever going to be ill, it's the time to buy insurance because insurers, brutally honest, do they want to take on someone who's sick and they're going to likely to pay out for? No, because it affects Mm. everybody. But when you're young or you're fit and athletic or you've got no underlying health issues, that's the time to look at insurance because if you've had a year off with depression, if you've had heart attacks, if you've had some issues, the insurance companies aren't looking for you because you're a risk and what they're (laughs) – and as we see, financial companies are there to make a profit. They're not a charity. And so – their members would look at them and say, but you've took on someone who had already claimed who was ill in ill health and who had a, a real big chance of not being at work and you've got to pay out yeah. a lot of money. We still don't know whether we're going to be in for a, a post-pandemic boom or a post-pandemic depression or a, just something, you know, kind of somewhere between the two. As a purchaser, is it a particularly good time now to, to take it out given the kind of economic environment? I think if I think a lot of people have looked back over the last 15, 16 months and been able to realise where they sort of used money that was wisely spent and used mm. money that maybe in Starbucks and Cafe Nero and other areas that wasn't so wise. And most people have been able to look at their spending habits because we've been locked in and look at where the money does need to go. Yeah. So at the moment, I think there's a lot of people who've got more disposable income. But more importantly, I think we've all looked at a situation from March 2020 when we all assumed life was going on as normal to find that people who we've known have died people have had long covid and i think for me even in the financial services industry we used to say to people i think we'd we'd like to have three to six months emergency money we're now saying to people we think you should have six yeah we're saying to people look long covid is a bit of a game changer it's even if you're healthy now this might not be the last of the pandemics that yeah. this generation sees so ensure yourself when you're fit well i was reading at the end of 2020 that premiums on pretty much all forms of insurance were going up you know life risk illness long-term sickness is that still the case or, or have we kind of settled do you think there has been increases in certain areas but what's interesting with insurers they sort of start rising raising them and then there's a bit of a price war 
<laughs> because someone's thinking, oh, we haven't got enough market share. I think the premiums, the younger you are, they're obviously more competitive. Where we think there's been issues is with people with underlying health issues, and the insurers are really tightening their criteria. I wouldn't say they've gone up drastically. You might have seen 3%, 4% in certain areas. You might have seen certain professions where they felt they were in greater danger of catching COVID have been adversely affected. But generally, it's not been as negative as some of the press reports have led people to believe. Andy, we've kind of covered a whole load of stuff here. It is one of those massively important things that you just put off. God knows I put it off. If listeners are just going to take away one thought from all of this, one, one thing to focus on, what should it be? Basically, if you, if you were a, a cash point machine in your house, look at what you produce every month. Mm. And if you weren't there in terms of either death or long-term sick, how would you survive or people who rely on you? And that's the only thing you need to look at because you might not need £1,000 a month. You might need £500. You might need 2000 But if you're long-term ill, how would your retirement look and how would your short-term and long-term look? I think that's kind of effectively the thing that we're all staring at, isn't it? You know, what happens when something happens? Because eventually it will. Yeah, I think we all go on holiday and it's like when you go to America, you buy holiday insurance because the cost, if you get ill in America, is horrific. When Tom sprained his ankle the last time we went away, I think the medical bill was £1,200 for a sprained ankle. At that price, he should have broken it. Yeah, get your money's worth. (laughs) But thank God we had insurance. Yet you take the insurance on on that basis. But I would never have assumed he'd have fallen over in sand and sprained his ankle, ends up in a hospital. And you buy insurance, any type of insurance for that worst case scenario that meant we didn't have to find $1,200. And that was a one-off. Now... That's why we buy insurance, just to protect in the event. Anybody who's ever hired a car and has gone, no, I don't need the excess, knows that immediately <laughs> that's the one where somebody scrapes the bits off, off the hire oh. car and you're absolutely sunk. I got stung for an absolute fortune with the tiniest scratch on a tyre. It happens to everybody. Andy, thanks for this. It is, you know, fascinating as ever for explaining the stuff to me who doesn't understand it at all, but also to the listeners who understand it probably a lot better than me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. What, what, are, you, what are you up to now, Andy? What are you going to do today? I'm going to have a nice glass of dry white wine and I've got my son's last football game on Saturday to look forward to. Well, I'm going to go get my second jab in half an hour. So there you go. I had mine yesterday. You had to be getting ahead of me, didn't you? Well, well done. (laughs) But I was absolutely shattered after it. (laughs) Listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, We'll be back soon with another edition. And if you found this podcast useful, please do follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Then you'll get every edition when it comes out. Andy, good talking to you. See you next time. And you, Andrew. Love to the cat. Thank you.